We know from research that employees who feel included have 19% greater well-being in their lives. We know that folks who report being excluded or ostracized at work report lower sense of belonging, physical health, mental well-being. And so when we think about what's next, I think it's about understanding that DEI, wellness and well-being are inextricably linked. And we need to be creating programming and policies and practices that kind of get at that really critical juncture. And there's been lots of research which has shown that for folks who identify as women, for folks who come from minoritized backgrounds, who identify as LGBTQI+, um, folks who identify as disabled, and so on and so forth, that the way they show up to work can be very different. So there was research by Shino which looked at this rate of covering in the workplace. I'm not sure if you're as familiar with the concept, but it's basically when you try to downplay any difference from the mainstream at work. So for example, an individual who identifies as disabled may not bring their cane to work. A person who's part of the LGBTQIA plus community may not say the pronouns of their partner. A Black woman may not want to show her natural hair. But all these are examples of covering. And this particular research by Shino showed that about 94% of BIPOC folks report that they cover in the workplace. And this has been detrimental to their sense of self, detrimental to their well-being. So when we think about how DEI and wellness well-being are kind of intricately related, it's like people don't feel like they can show up as their full selves. I'm your host, Michelle King, joined by Kelly Thompson, and you're listening to The Fix, a podcast that shares the stories of remarkable people who are innovating and taking action to advance equality in the workplace and beyond. Over the last two years, health and well-being has become front and center in organizational life, thanks to the pandemic. We've all heard of the business case for DEI, but what about the wellness case for DEI? It's become increasingly apparent that without compassionate, inclusive, people-centered workplaces, health and well-being suffers, and in turn, so does productivity. If we want more innovative, collaborative, and productive workplaces, we need to put well-being front and center, and not just for some employees, but for everyone. Many employers are at the beginning of their journey in understanding the connection between health and well-being and DEI, with many employers looking at implementing diverse well-being strategies to meet employees' different needs. For example, the Employee Wellbeing Research Report found that more than two-fifths of employers collaborate with their DEI team when developing and implementing wellbeing strategies. Many organizations have started to develop diverse strategies to meet employees' individual needs. For example, almost half of employers are taking a gender-targeted approach to well-being, with 49% saying they have a specific strategy supporting women's health, and 44% having a dedicated strategy for men's health. Around a third of organizations address well-being for disabled employees and mental well-being related to culture and ethnicity, for example, by dealing head-on with racism and microaggressions. Age-related well-being is the area set for the greatest growth over the next 12 months, with just over a third of respondents planning to implement strategies to support the health and well-being of older workers during 2021. 
When you think about it, employee well-being and diversity, equity and inclusion efforts have a symbiotic relationship. Taking a diverse and inclusive approach to well-being within your business will enhance employees' feelings of inclusion and belonging, which in turn improves their mental and emotional well-being, which further enhances their sense of belonging. And so the cycle goes on. To understand how we can put well-being at the centre of our DEI efforts, we're joined on the show today by Dr. Marlette Jackson, the Global Director of Equity, Diversity and Inclusion at Virgin Pulse. Dr. Jackson will discuss with us how diversity and inclusion is intertwined with employee health and well-being. Because when employees feel like they can be their true selves at work, they use fewer sick days, stay longer at their company and are happier and more engaged in their work. Marlette will also share with us how Virgin Pulse is putting well-being at the centre of its own DEI efforts. We know from research that employees who feel included have 19% greater well-being in their lives. We know that folks who report being excluded or ostracized at work report lower sense of belonging, physical health, mental well-being. And so when we think about what's next, I think it's about understanding that DEI, wellness and well-being are inextricably linked, and we need to be creating programming and policies and practices that kind of get at that really critical juncture. And there's been lots of research which has shown that for folks who identify as women, for folks who come from minoritized backgrounds, who identify as LGBTQI+, um, folks who identify as disabled, and so on and so forth, that the way they show up to work can be very different. So there was research by Shino, which looked at this rate of covering in the workplace. I'm not sure if you're as familiar with the concept, but it's basically when you try to downplay any difference from the mainstream at work. So for example, an individual who identifies as disabled may not bring their cane to work. A person who's part of the LGBTQIA plus community may not say the pronouns of their partner. A Black woman may not want to show her natural hair. But all these are examples of covering. And this particular research by Shino showed that about 94% of BIPOC folks report that they cover in the workplace. And this has been detrimental to their sense of self, detrimental to their well-being. So when we think about how DEI and wellness and well-being are kind of intricately related, it's like people don't feel like they can show up as their full selves. And we also have to think about the necessary larger context, right? When we think about what's going on in society in terms of Black Lives Matter, South Asian hate, that all affects how people show up in the workplace. There's another research article that showed that 30 or 40,000 Black Americans who were interviewed um, within a few months following the death of a Black American at the hands of the police in their state, they found that the police killings of unarmed Black Americans were associated with worse mental health among Black Americans in the U.S., And there's been a lot of new research coming up that shows that individuals who have survived different types of hate crimes, specifically related to the South Asian hate movement, have had anxiety, depressive symptoms, sleep problems, a lot of mental health issues. And so when it comes to thinking about what organizations can do, first is to acknowledge that people are not showing up the same, and then to equip managers with ways to kind of support that. So a few months ago, I did a training on our, for our managers on how to support your employees during times of social unrest. And we very explicitly talked about things that you can do when it comes to how social unrest affects mental health. Also, how to create a more inclusive environment on your team. 
And there were kind of three things, I called it like the three E's of responding to unrest, educate, engage, and echo. So one is for managers to educate themselves on the social issues of our times and their personal biases. So this means like diversifying your news sources. This means like reviewing materials curated by organizations on issues, attending bystander intervention training, taking the implicit association test, and then after educate, it's engage, right? So engaging your team in dialogue and an action plan, not acting as if this is like not happening, right? I think for a lot of folks, just having it be acknowledged that this may be taking a toll and not specifically saying like, this may be taking a toll on you because you're a woman or you because you identify as Black. Like, no, just like to everyone. And so, you know, offering additional time during one-on-ones to kind of support a direct report who would like to talk about it, check in. And, and I think the, the most specific part is having specific tangible ways you can help. So offering specific forms of help. Not saying like, oh, I know this news is distressing. Let me know how I can help you. But I know this news may be distressing. Let me know if I can take, you know, that client meeting that you have coming up. And also communicating solidarity, sending an email, things of that nature, having a time where you in your kind of team meetings can actually like watch a TED talk about DEI or the Black Lives Matter movement or listen to a podcast together and then discuss it, right? Weaving DEI into your actual kind of day-to-day framework. And then the third thing was echo. So amplifying the voices and causes of the community you're in solidarity with. So whether that be donating, if you can't afford to donate, volunteering, you don't have the bandwidth time for that, just amplifying, right? So if you see a woman on LinkedIn who wrote a really amazing article about this or a BIPOC person, share that and make sure that folks within your network can read that, right? So amplify the voices of leaders in these fields and also the voices of the members of your team who may be having concerns. Amplify those to senior leadership as well. The state of our mental well-being affects how we feel, react to problems, and cope with the challenges we face on a day-to-day basis. Because we all spend the large majority of our time at work, prioritizing mental health in the workplace is a must. A recent survey by McKinsey and Company found that the majority of employees have considered the inclusiveness of companies when making career decisions. However, almost half of the same respondents feel that they aren't very included in their current organization. Regardless of their gender, race, ethnicity, or sexual orientation, the majority of respondents felt that they had experienced barriers to inclusion. The research supports the argument that certain demographics are more likely to feel less included. Among those are entry-level employees, women, ethnic or racial minorities, and people with different abilities. We cannot advance DEI without advancing mental, emotional, and physical well-being. Here, Marlet shares how to advance employee well-being through the lens of DEI. A few months ago, we invited Dr. Megan O'Reilly. She is a Stanford psychologist as well as a DEI expert. And she came and did a month-long gathering space for some of our Black-identifying employees on topics related to racial trauma, related to racial battle fatigue, microaggressions, and my favorite, which was Black resistance and Black joy. And what was really great is I think part of what organizations have to do is realize or to figure out what they don't know and then bring in folks who do know that. And I am very well versed in DEI. However, I don't have the background in psychology that Dr. O'Reilly has. And so when we invited her in, it was amazing to have 
her come in because she comes at the intersection between having an actual background in psychology and also a background as a DEI practitioner. Help our Black identifying employees understand what is racial trauma? What is racial battle fatigue? How does this connect to how you're showing up in work? And she gave us some really tangible strategies like the four by four breath. So she said that, you know, when you're in these moments where you may be feeling a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress, having to deal with issues related to racial trauma, she just said, you know what? Inhale for four counts, hold your breath for four counts, exhale for four counts, and see how that kind of helps. Start your mornings off like that. If you feel like you're stressed, you know, have that kind of in the moment. And that was really helpful in terms of, okay, in the moment strategies for someone just said a microaggression at work. Before I respond, maybe I should take these, you know, four by four breath strategies in order to kind of not calm down, but find peace in it. So that's one thing that I'm really proud of is being really intentional about connecting your DEI work and your wellness work and making sure you have practitioners who kind of do that. Another thing we do is I work closely with our on-site wellness coordinator. So for example, she is creating an application for folks who want to be wellness coordinators at our company. And essentially, we made sure that there was a question about DEI, right? How do your various perspectives, identities, backgrounds, how is that going to help bring a new lens to wellness? Because we know that, for example, different communities come with different perceptions or stigmas around mental health, right? And so how does your background help us better understand that and create programming that can be made for everyone? We also have within the DEI team, I oversee several different employee impact groups and employee community groups. One of our employee community groups is a mental health group. And so um, very much connected to how are we looking at mental health support through the lens of DEI. We also do things like providing different training to our health coaches on, there are a lot of things going on with COVID-19. There are a lot of things going on with the George Floyd murder. If a member calls you, how do you respond to that if they have these questions? How do you provide them resources that they may be needing? And so we provide coaching and training with them to do just that. I'm actually doing a training with them later this week on everything from bias to allyship to how to engage with your colleagues as well as the members through a DEI lens. And so I think that's a lot of education and learning. It's a lot of programming. It's a lot of intentional events as well. So for example, today is Native American and Alaska Native Heritage Month in the US. And so we have a upcoming uh, workshop with Dr. Donald Warren, who identifies as Native American and who will talk about the social determinants of health for indigenous communities. So again, it's looking at how can we educate folks in programming? How can we provide specific tangible programming for folks like the gathering space? How can we integrate DEI into the wellness? And then just kind of taking a holistic approach into the different tangible strategies we can employ to do that. The odds of a person feeling truly included and that they belong in your organisation are lowered when that person's mental health is negatively affected. And employees' mental health is negatively affected when their race, gender, ethnicity or other personal characteristics are the subject of marginalisation. An article in Public Health Advocate, which is an undergraduate publication from the University of California, Berkeley, 
pointed out that research has shown that mental health experiences of minorities have been greatly affected by culture and by how society at large views that culture. So racial and ethnic minorities in the US, for example, are less likely than white people to seek mental health treatment and more likely to delay treatment until symptoms are severe. The reciprocal relationship between well-being and DEI means that every one of us has a role to play in the mental and emotional health of the other people in our work environments. Here Marlette explains why this is in more detail. I think one of the things that we love to say is that you kind of own your well-being, your wellness trajectory. And a lot of the things that our health coaches do is apply more questions as opposed to dictating what it is that you're going to do. So it's not about, this is what you're going to do to get to your goal of, you know, mitigating some of the factors that have to do with your heart disease, right? It's more of, okay, tell us a little bit about um, the area in which you live and tell us a little bit about the activities that you like to do. Now, given the environments you live in and the activities like you do, what are some plans that, you know, we can create to kind of help you in your wellness and well-being strategy? And so it's really about being member-led and them deciding, okay, well, I really like cycling, actually, and there's a park near me. So maybe twice a week, I'll go cycling at that park, and then I will reconnect with you about how that's going and how I'm feeling and if I'm seeing that, you know, I feel better after doing this. And so one thing is that it's definitely the ownership isn't on individuals to kind of own their well-being journey. And I think the second thing is that we also have to kind of reinforce the collective community when we're thinking about, you know, well-being and wellness. So one thing that we're starting this month is a call to action when it comes to celebrating different cultural and heritage month events. So I think it's great, for example, that we're having several different events where we're having folks who identify as Native American or Alaska Native come and give talks to our employees about social justice in the Native communities and on topics like social determinants of health in Indigenous communities. But how can we kind of translate that into action? And a lot of the research says is that one key component of our own kind of journeys when it comes to happiness and feeling fulfilled and feeling as if we're contributing something greater good is by prioritizing giving to others and giving to communities. And so one thing we're starting this month is that we are instituting a call to action. So essentially on our platform, if you walk a certain number of steps, you participate in these different promoted healthy habit challenges, you'll get a certain number of pulse points. And then those pulse points can be converted to pulse cash. And when you have a certain amount of pulse cash, what we're encouraging folks to do is to donate some of that pulse cash to actual organizations that support Native communities, that empower Native communities that are at this intersection between well-being and empowering Indigenous communities. And so it's about understanding you owning your wellness journey, but also how you can collectively help different communities in ways beyond attending an event, but also channeling how you are helping your own wellness and then moving that to supporting other communities. Finally, Marlit shares one action that each of us can take to create a workplace that works for everyone. I think one thing that folks can do is just to acknowledge that we are all showing up to the same workplace with vastly different experiences. And so to assign charitable interpretations to how folks may be showing up, especially in these times, and to try to see the 
person behind their professional and to not make assumptions based on just what you see. We all have invisible identities, both seen and unseen. And a lot of that may be attributing to how a person is showing up. So applying a charitable interpretation to what your colleagues do and say, and understanding that when you do that, it actually helps you and your personal well-being because now you are not assigning this negative attitude or this you know, negative interaction to anything greater than just what it is in that moment. And so that's what I would recommend. We all have a role to play in creating workplace environments that value difference and support our individual and collective well-being. That starts really with recognising that DEI is not a zero-sum game. Creating work environments that support everyone to thrive ultimately serves to benefit all of us and our businesses. That's critical because our collective success depends on our ability to innovate, collaborate and problem solve together. But that requires an environment where we feel like we can be ourselves because we know we'll be valued for it. An environment that's psychologically safe and one that celebrates difference, where individuals can challenge the status quo, bring forward their perspectives and learn from each other. So if companies want to design this kind of culture, and let's face it, why wouldn't they? They need to put well-being at the centre of their DEI efforts by recognising the different needs, experiences and challenges we each face. As Harvard Business Review put it, companies can no longer compartmentalise mental health as an individual's responsibility to address alone through self-care, mental health days or employee benefits. I just want to repeat something I said earlier. DEI is not a zero-sum game. It's not about you giving up your seat at the table for me. It's about redesigning the table to better fit us both. Thanks for tuning into our episode today. If you're interested in partnering with us or being a guest on the show, then please reach out through our website, thefixpodcast.org. You can also sign up to our monthly newsletter and contribute your story there. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch you all again next week.